I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. This stupid citizen app. All it's trying to do is just get all my uh, my friends' information. Oh, oh, hi, and welcome to Leaves of Glen, where I read to you the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, uh, we're going to read A Country Doctor by Franz Kafka. Uh, well, we'll learn a little bit about Franz Kafka. Born the 3rd of July, 1883, and died the 3rd of June, 1924. He was a German-speaking bohemian novelist and short story writer, widely regarded as one of the major figures of 20th century literature. His work fuses elements of realism and the fantastic. It typically features eh, isolated protagonists, uh, face bizarre surrealistic predicaments, and an incomprehensible socio-bureaucratic powers. Uh, it has been interpreted as exploring themes of alienation, existential anxiety, uh, guilt, and uh, absurdity. His best-known works include The Metamorphosis, uh, The Trial, uh, The Castle, which I could never finish, uh, and the term Kafkaesque has entered the English language to describe situations like those found in his writing. Eh, got all that from Wikipedia. I don't write this stuff myself. A uh, few of Kafka's works were published during his lifetime. Uh, a Country Doctor and uh, Individual Short Stories were put in literary magazines but received little public attention. Burp. In his will, Kafka instructed his executor and friend Max Broad to destroy his unfinished works, including his novels, America and The Man Who Disappeared. But Broad ignored these instructions. Which is great for us. Horrible for their friendship. If you ask a friend to do something as your dying wish, you should do it. But in the end, it worked out for the rest of us, so, uh, well, it's uh, complicated. I got time to waste before the big grandfather clock goes off, uh, telling me to stop babbling. Uh, so... Let's learn some fun facts about uh, Franz Kafka and his stories. Uh, from the metamorphosis, Gregor Samsa was transformed into a winged beetle. The famous opening line uh, to Kafka's The Metamorphosis was, One morning when Gregor Samsa woke from troubled dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a, a horrible vermin. Is rendered to be uh, intentionally ambiguous on the account of just what exactly Gregor Samsa had become. Though the history of its translation, it has sometimes been rendered as a dung beetle uh, or just a beetle, or as above, simply a vermin. The Kafka aficionado and fame lepiotrist? Le lepi lepiotrist? Oh boy, I'm gonna have to look that one up, aren't I? Uh, let's see. All right, and here we go. Lepidopterist. 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 The definition of this is just a specialist in lepidopatry. Lepidopterist. All right, whatever. 
Uh, Vladimir Nabokov apparently knew better, asserting in a famous lecture that psychologically, Samsa could not have been a dung beetle. What? And in fact, must have had small hidden wings, though Samsa never discovers their existence. People... Uh, when, you, when someone makes a work of art or writes a novel or story or whatever, people come to the weirdest conclusions about them. How do you know that psychologically Samsa could not have been a dung beetle? I'm done. Next up, uh, the floor plan of Gregor Samson's apartment was the same as Kafka's. Yeah, yeah, though the recent biographers had sought to downplay the commonly held belief that Kafka himself was very much a Gregor Samson-like character, uh, the young man turned insect of literary fame did live in an apartment that was identical to the layout of Kafka's own. So, I guess the recent biographers were probably wrong. Uh, uh, he thought that he and Max Broad would strike it rich writing travel guides. <laughs> oh, thank God. Well, that was a weird one. I just like that that was where they thought they were going to strike it rich. Well, with that, let's uh, move on to the story of the country doctor by Franz Kafka. Country Doctor by Franz Kafka. Translated by Ian Johnson. My ex-wife uh, once dated a man whose name was Ian, spelled I-A-N, but he kept demanding that everyone call him Ian. <sighs> Still a lot of hate inside me. Let's move on. Uh, I was in great difficulty. An urgent journey was facing me. A, a seriously ill man was waiting for me in a village. Ten miles distant, a severe snowstorm filled the space between him and me, and I had a carriage, uh, a light one, with large wheels, entirely suitable for our country roads. Wrapped up in furs, uh, with a bag of instruments in my hand, I was already standing in the courtyard ready for the journey, but the horse was missing. Dash the horse. <laughs> my own horse had died the previous night. As a result of overexertion in this icy winter, my servant girl was at that very moment running around the village to see if she could borrow a horse. But it was uh, hopeless, and I knew that. And I stood there, uh, useless, increasingly covered with snow, becoming all the time... Well, he's just standing outside while she's running around the village. I mean, that could be like an hour, but he's just standing out there waiting. Eh, what a jerk. Increasingly covered with snow, becoming all the time more immobile. The girl appeared at the gate, alone... She was swinging the lantern. Of course, who is now going to lend his horse or such a journey? I walked once again across the courtyard, and I couldn't see what to do. Distracted and tormented, I, I kicked my foot against the cracked door of the pigsty. That's weird. Which had not been used for years. An, an abandoned pigsty? The door opened and banged to and fro on its hinges. A, a warmth and smell, as if... From horses came out a, a dim stall lantern and a rope swayed inside. A man huddled down in the stall below showed his open blue-eyed face. Shall I hitch up? He asked, crawling out on all fours. This is weird. 
I didn't know what to say and merely bent down to see who was still in the stall. The servant girl stood beside me. Ah, one doesn't know the sorts of things one has stored in one's own house, she said, and we, we both laughed. Hey, brother, hey, sister, the groom cried out, and two horses, powerful animals with strong flanks, shoved their way, one behind the other, legs close to the bodies, lowering well-formed heads like camels and getting through the door space, which they completely filled only through the powerful movements of their rumps. But right away, they stood up straight, long-legged with thick, steaming bodies. Help him, I said, and the girl obediently hurried and hand the wagon harness to the groom. But as soon as she was uh, beside him, the groom puts his arms around her and pushes his face against her. Oh, she screams out and runs over to me. On the girl's cheek are red marks from two rows of teeth. Wow, he bit her. You brute, I cry out in fury. Eh, do you want the whip? But I immediately remembered that he is a stranger and that I don't know where he comes from. What, there's a culture that you bite women? And that he's uh, helping me out of his own free will when everyone else is refusing to. As if he knows what I am thinking, he takes no offense at my threat, but turns around to me once more, still busy with the horses. Uh, Then he says, "Uh, climb in. And in fact, everything is ready, and I notice that I have never before traveled with such a beautiful team of horses, and I I climb in happily. Oh, he just kind of forgot about the part where he bit uh, the girl's face. But I'll take the reins. Uh, You don't know the way, I say. Of course, he says. I'm not going with you. I'm staying with Rosa. No, screams Rosa, and runs into the house with an accurate premonition of the inevitability of her fate. I hear that, oh, what is that supposed to mean? Oh, that's a lighthearted way of saying that something horrible is going to happen to her. I hear the door chain rattling as she sets it in place, and I hear the lock click. I see how, uh, in addition, she chases down the corridor and through the rooms, putting out all the lights in order to make herself impossible to find. You're coming with me, I say to the group, or I'll give up the journey no matter how urgent it is. It's not my intention to give you the girl as your price of the trip. Giddy up, he says, and claps his hands. The carriage is torn away like a piece of wood in a current. I still hear how the door of my house is breaking down and splattering, splitting apart under the groom's onslaught, and then my eyes and ears are filled with the roaring sound which overwhelms all my senses at once, but only for a moment. Then I'm already there. Oh, so he just left her behind. Okay, you could just jump out of the cart and just walk over and... All right, I'm moving on. But I'm already there, as if the farmyard of my invalid opens up immediately in front of my courtyard gate. While the horses stand quietly, the the snowfall is stopped, the moonlight all around. The sick man's parents rush out of the house, his sister behind them, and they almost lift me out from the carriage, and I get nothing from their confused talking. In the sick room, one can hardly breathe the air. The neglected cooking stove is smoking, and I want to push open the window. But first, I'll look at the the sick man. Thin, without fever, not uh, cold, eh, not warm, uh, with empty eyes, eh, without a shirt. The young man under the stuffed quilt heaves himself up, hangs around my throat, what, and whispers in my ear, Doctor, let me die. Eh, I look around, and no one has heard. 
The parents stand silently, leaning forward, and wait for my judgment. The sister has brought a stool for my handbag, and I open the bag and look among my instruments. The young man constantly uh, gropes at me from the bed to remind me of his request. I, I take some tweezers. Yeah, I test them in the candlelight and uh, put them back. Yes, I think blasphemously. In such cases, the gods do help. They, they send the missing horse, even add a second one because it's urgent, and even throw in a, a groom. It's a bonus. That's a bonus? Uh, now, for the first time, I think once more of Rosa. What, are, what am I doing? How am I saving her? How do I pull her out from under this groom? Ten miles away from her, with the uncontrollable horses in front of my carriage. These horses, who have now somehow loosened their straps, are pushing open the window from outside. I don't know how. Each one is sticking its head through a window, and unmoved by the crying of the family, is observing the invalid. I'll go back right away, I think, as if the horses were ordering me to journey back, but I allow the sister, who thinks I am in a daze because of the heat, to take off my fur coat. A glass of ah, rum is prepared for me, and the old man claps me uh, on the shoulder. Uh, the sacrifice of his treasure justifies this familiarity. I, I shake my head in the narrow circle of the old man's thinking I was not well. That's the only reason I refuse to drink. The mother... Stands by the bed and entices me over. I follow, and as a horse neighs loudly at the ceiling, lay my head on the young man's chest, which trembles under my wet beard. That confirms what I already knew. Uh, the young man is uh, eh, healthy. Ah, his circulation's a little off. How do you know that? Saturated with coffee by his caring mother, but, but he's healthy and uh, best pushed out of bed uh, with a with a shove. I'm no improver of the world, and let him lie there. I'm employed by the district to do my duty to the full, right to the point where it's almost too much. Badly paid, but I'm generous and ready to help the poor. I, I still have to look after Rosa, and then the young man may have his way, and I want to die too. What am I doing here in this uh, endless winter? Yeah, my horse is dead, and there's uh, no one in the village who will lend me his. I had to drag my team out of a, out of a pigsty. If they, if they hadn't happened to be horses, I'd have to travel with a, <laughs> with pigs. Yeah, and That's the way it is. And I nod to the family. And they know nothing about it. And if they did know, they wouldn't believe it. Incidentally, it's easy to write prescriptions, but difficult to come to an understanding with people. Now with that, uh, I'm feeling kind of uh, excited. Something about uh, horses sticking their head through windows and neighing at you uh, is uh, kind of exciting. So why don't we retire up to my bedroom, the master bedroom, and you can climb under my silken sheets, and, and I can read you about the newest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. Go on, get. Ah, there you are, spread out on my bed. You look ravishing. But take off that silky suit you're wearing and instead put on this uh, dog costume. As I read to you a new book by Elena Martin called Heart on a Leash. Young pups teach frozen hearts new tricks 
when a pack of rescue huskies inspire love and romance in a coastal Alaskan town fractured by feuding families. Oh, that's a weird little add-on there. Taylor uh, Lippin has made it her life's mission to leave her hometown and its ridiculous century-old feud. What? With the potters uh, behind her. But when her sister needs help running the family in, Taylor agrees to return to Helen, Alaska, on a temporary, definitely not longer than two-week basis. Or so she thinks, until she's quite literally swept off her feet and into enemy territory by three happy huskies and their drool-worthy owner, Dr. Josh Crane. What is going on with the feud? They're really not addressing the feud very well in this review. Though Josh didn't grow up in Helen with the rest of his uh, porter cousins, uh, he's heard stories. Porters rescue huskies. The Lippins are eh, bleh, cat people. Uh, keep to your pack. But Taylor is too tempting to give up. Plus, his dogs love her. As Taylor and Josh grow closer, tensions in the town escalate and Need for secrecy starts to take a toll. Soon, they'll need to decide whether their newfound love is just a, a summer fling or if they've found their forever home. Well, that's weird. Uh, I think, if anything, this review just makes me want to know more about this rivalry and why the whole town is in on this. Apparently, it's part of a whole series. There's another one here by the same author called Pause and Prejudice, the Hearts of Alaska uh, Newell. Nah, whatever. Uh, it's coming out uh, April 27th, and you can get it at yeah, Barnes & Noble. Sure, you can get it at Hudson Booksellers. All right, whatever. Get it at IndieBound, Powell's, Target, Walmart, Amazon, and Books A Million, my favorite name for any bookstore. Well, I'm not horny anymore. That didn't uh, work me up into a lather like I hoped it would, so why don't we, uh, I don't know, get back to the story. Now, at this point, my visit might have come to an end. They have once more called for my help unnecessarily, and I'm used to that. With the help of my night bell, the entire region torments me. But this time, I had to sacrifice Rosa as well, this beautiful girl who lives in my house all year long and, and whom I scarcely notice. Now, this sacrifice is too great, and I must somehow, in my own head, subtly rationalize it away for the moment, in order not to leave this family who cannot, even with the best will, give me Rosa back again. He's not thinking about the fact that horrible things are probably happening to her right now, as he's thinking all this, and all he's like, I never really took her seriously. She's kind of pretty. I should get back there. Ugh. But as I'm closing up my handbag and calling for my fur coat, the family is standing together. The father has stiffed the glass of rum in his hand, and the mother probably disappointed in me. Uh, what more do these people really expect? Tearfully biting her lips and the sister flapping a very bloody hand towel. What? I am somehow ready in the circumstance to concede that this young man is perhaps nonetheless sick. I, I go to him. Hey, he smiles up at me as if I was bringing in the most nourishing kind of soup. Ah, now both horses are winning. Their heads are still in the window. I forgot about that. The noise, that's probably supposed to come from higher regions in order to illuminate my examination. And now I find out that, yes, indeed, the young man is ill. On his right side, in the region of the hip, a wound the size of the palm of one's hand is opened up, rose-colored in many different shadings. 
dark in the depths, bright around the edges, and delicately grained. This is getting gross. And uneven patches of blood uh, open to the light like a mining pit. That's what it looks like. Uh, from a distance close up, a complication is apparent. Uh, who can look at that without whistling softly? <laughs> like, whew. worms! As thick and long as my little finger. Themselves, those are kind of big worms. Themselves, rose-colored and also spattered with blood, are wriggling their white bodies of many limbs from their stronghold in the inner uh, of the wound toward the light. Uh, poor young man, there's no help in you. I have found out your great wound. You are dying from this flower on your side. The family is happy. Uh, they see me doing something. The sister says that uh, to the mother. The mother tells the father. The father tells a few guests who are coming in on tiptoe through the moonlight in the open door, uh, balancing themselves with outstretched arms. Will you save me? Whispers the young man, sobbing, quite blinded by the life inside his wound. Uh, that's how people are in my region, always demanding the impossible from the doctor. They have lost the old faith. The priest sits at home and tears uh, his religious robes to pieces. Oh, tears. And one after another. But the doctor is supposed to achieve everything with his delicate surgeon's hand. Well, it's what they like to think. I have not offered myself. If they use me for sacred purposes, I let that happen to me as well. What more do I want? An old country doctor robbed of his servant girl, exclamation point. And they come, the family and the village elders, and are taking my clothes off. A choir of school children, with the teacher at the head, stands in front of the house and, uh, and sings uh, an extremely simple melody uh, with the words. Take his clothes off, uh, and he'll heal. And if he doesn't cure, uh, we'll kill him. It's only a doctor. It's only a doctor. Ah, and I'm stripped of my clothes, and uh, with my fingers on in my beard and my head tilted to one side, I look at the people quietly. I am completely calm and clear about everything, and stay that way, too, although it's not helping me at all, for they are now taking me by the head and feet and dragging me into the bed. They lay me against the wall on the, on the, on the side of the wound, and then they all go out of the room. The, the door's shut, and the singing stops. The clouds move in front of the moon. The bedclothes lie warmly around me, and in the open space of the windows, the horse's heads sway like shadows. Oh, those are still there. Do you know, I hear someone saying in my ear, my confidence in you is very small. You're only shaken out from somewhere. You don't come of your own feet. Instead of helping, you, you give me less room on my deathbed. The best thing would be if I scratch your eyes out. Eh... Uh, Right, I say. It's a disgrace. But now I'm a doctor. What am, I, uh, what am I supposed to do? Believe me, things are not easy for me either. Oh, yeah, should I be satisfied with this excuse? Alas, I'll probably have to be. I have always have to make do. I come into the world with a beautiful wound. That is all I was furnished with. Young friend, I say, your mistake is that you have no perspective. I've already been in all the sick rooms far and wide, and I tell you that your wound is not so bad. Uh, made into a tight corner with a, two blows from an axe, maybe people offer their side and hardly hear the axe in the force, to say nothing of the fact that it's coming closer to them. Is that uh, really so? Are you so deceiving me in my fever? 
Right, it's truly so. Take the word of honor of a medical doctor. He took my word and grew still. But now it was uh, time to think about my escape. The horses were still standing loyally in their place. Hey, clothes, fur coat, and bag were quickly gathered up. I didn't want to delay by getting dressed. If the horses rushed as they had on their journey out, I would, in fact, be springing out of my bed on my own, as it were. One horse uh, obediently pulled back from the window, and I threw the bundle into the carriage. The fur coat flew too far and was caught on a hook only by one arm. Uh, Good enough. I swung myself up onto the horse, and the reins dragging loosely, uh, one horse barely harnessed to the other, and the carriage swaying behind, last of all the fur coat in the snow. Giddy up, I said. That there's no giddying up about it. We dragged slowly through the snowy desert uh, like old men. For a long time, the fresh but inaccurate singing of the children resounded behind us. Enjoy yourselves, uh, you patience, the doctor laid in bed with you. I'll never come home at this rate. My flourishing practice is lost. The successor is robbing me, but uh, to no avail, for he cannot replace me. In my house, the disgusting groom is wreaking havoc. Rosa is his victim. I will not think it through, naked, uh, abandoned to the frost of this unhappy age, with an earthly carriage and unearthly horses. I drive my uh, myself around uh, like an old man. My fur coat hangs behind the wagon, but I cannot reach it. And no one from the nimble rabble of patience lifts a finger. Betrayed! Exclamation point. Betrayed! Exclamation point. Once one responds to a false alarm on the night bell, there's no making it good again. Uh, not ever. Well, uh, here we are back in the smoking room in my mansion, a thing I'm never going to give up. Uh, let's try to make sense of this fever dream of a story. First, the doctor uh, gets a call on his emergency bell. I don't know how that works. I imagine they probably don't really have phones. Maybe they do. I don't really know what the time period is of this story. Let's just assume he has a, a phone. He gets what's a, an alarm on his emergency bell. And he's got to get horses, but horse is dead. So his servant girl is out running around town trying to get someone to donate a horse, but no one will do it. It's a big snowstorm, and no one likes the doctor, apparently. I mean, you'd think you'd want to be nice to the doctor, because then he might give you a discount the next time you have cancer. But nope, no one helps him out. So she comes back, and suddenly he gets mad, and he kicks a, a pigsty, which I guess is an abandoned pigsty, and the door opens, and a little man comes crawling out on all fours and says, I got horses for you, and two beautiful horses come flying out. So this uh, person, this groomsman, winds up getting the horses hooked up to a wagon and says, uh, there you go, and then bites the woman on the cheek. And then uh, says, giddy up, and the horses take off. Uh, the man instantly knows that I, I, I assume this woman's going to get raped because she runs in the house and slams the door and locks it. And then this guy's literally busting down the door uh, into pieces. And this guy's just sort of sitting on his wagon watching like, well, the horses are moving, so I can't. Uh, what am I going to do? So that's weird. Instantly, he gets to the house and it's just this boy laying in a bed and he seems fine. 
And the family is kind of weird. They're treating it like a, like a really fun event. They bring neighbors over. And the horses, for some reason, stick their head through the window. And uh, he says this boy seems fine. But then he sees a giant wound uh, on this boy's side with uh, huge centipedes or something crawling around through it. And, uh, and he tells the boy, no, this ain't so bad. And then the family sings some sort of weird song. Uh, it, it kind of insinuating a pagan ritual and uh, tells him to get in the bed, gets him naked, gets him in the bed with the boy. Uh, and then uh, he, the boy says, uh, you got to save me. Uh, and then he says, oh, and the boy goes, let me die. So that's confusing. And then the horse is whinny. And then he gets out uh, naked, gets on the horse and takes off back through the snow. But it takes a real long time. And he doesn't think he's ever going to get home to save poor Rose, the girl back at his place. Um, uh, and then that's kind of it. Uh, what's good about it? Well, Kafka's a good writer. So it's weird. A weird... Uh, I assume it's a dream that this person is having. Uh, what sucks? That Rose, the servant girl, no one seems to give a poop about her. He does only when he thinks, ah, well, she's pretty. How come I've never made moves on her? So that sucks. What do we learn? Well, I had to dive into this one a little bit. Because I learned that uh, when Kafka wrote this, he was on his second engagement with a woman named Felice. Uh, the first one, they got engaged or whatever, and then he dropped it. And then uh, later on, uh, got engaged to her again, uh, but then he got tuberculosis and said, nah, you don't want to marry me, and dropped it again. And uh, it looks like this story pretty much applies to him getting ready to tell Felice, I'm dumping you for a second time. Uh, he's portrayed as a doctor as a man who wants to help, but he can't. Uh, the sick boy is, uh, eh, we don't know what they symbolize. Most of the stuff I read online was just a lot of people speculating, but uh, they kind of get weird. Uh, basically just that it's a problem. And the problem is rose-colored, a rose-colored opening on his body, just like the rose back at his place uh, who's being attacked by the groomsmen. Uh, you know, Rose being a, a symbol of romance. Uh, there's Rose, uh, whatever. It turns out Felice uh, lived far away from Kafka, and so she was getting hit on by some guy that lived nearby him. So I think this is all part of kind of his jealousy of uh, people making moves. Uh, the horses? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation, but none of it seems reasonable. It's kind of always over the top, and the person who's writing it uh, kind of comes to some weird stuff. Uh, the horses are just kind of generally a spiritual element, from what I can tell. Uh, they both whisk him away from something that he should be preventing from happening, and then take forever getting him back to it. So, I'm not exactly clear on what that is, but the fact that when he is there with the boy, the horses have to stick their heads in. So the spiritual element is constantly present and around him all the time. Uh, the people still believe in some kind of magic. And uh, they lay him in, in bed with the sick boy as if it's some sort of ritual, but really probably setting the doctor up for, uh, well, we're going to kill you if you can't save him. And I'm guessing all this kind of revolves around the sin of inaction. Uh, Rose is being attacked by this weird little man who crawls on all fours. Uh, and his inaction and laziness allows him to be whisked away to this farmhouse with this sick little boy. The little boy's got a giant uh, opening wound in the side of his body with actual insects crawling in and out of it, covered in blood. Uh, and he is more or less not taking any action. And so the horses are there to witness all of it. And as he tries to take action, 
for the wrong motivation, and I'm sure the author do as the wrong motivation, of, uh, oh, Rose is cute. I should get back there and save her and have her all to myself. The horses drag their feet and aren't really helping him. And he's buck naked and his jacket is behind him. So everything with Kafka is horrible. Well, with that, uh, I hope you enjoyed this little story. I imagine uh, on my next episode later on this week, I'll have to dive back into David Copperfield. The next 40 chapters of it. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, uh, be sure to like, subscribe, smash the like button. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.